welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Today, we are transitioning from our out-of-this-world experiences to stories that take place on our own plane of existence, but involve the supernatural, in particular the shades of those who have passed before, ghosts. Yes, a whole month of ghost stories lined up for you, and uh, ghost stories of a different uh, shade, as it were. Um, You know, ghosts do affect our lives in a variety of ways. Sometimes they are a reminder of a lost past, the echo of a tortured soul, or just a soul with unfinished business. And other times they are frightening avengers of wrongs done. Anyways, our story today is kind of in the middle of all three of those. It's a ghost story that is the pilot of a series that I would love to hear much, much more of. Um, there aren't more episodes, but this one is darn good, so we'll appreciate it. The program, called Sinister Properties, it's about a real estate agent for properties with, well, troubled pasts. This episode, The New Roommates, tells of a man who moves into a house and gets it for a bargain that is too good to be true, and he soon finds out that the cost is an unexpected roommate with an interesting history. Hope you enjoy The New Roommates. Jaw Drop Productions presents Sinister Properties. We invite you to join real estate agent Artemis Drake on his latest assignment. In his unusual line of work, it's always a buyer's market. For me, Nothing is more therapeutic than a long drive on miles of empty road, particularly at night. The radio makes a fair companion as I drive, but sometimes all I want to hear is the motor softly running and the wind whipping around me. I never feel more at home than I do on a stretch of vacant highway without another soul in view. I'm a real estate agent, but don't call me if you're in the market for a home. For the last several years, I've worked exclusively as a buyer's agent. In fact, I've worked exclusively as an agent for one buyer, and I've never laid eyes on the man. He is Mr. J.M. Carlson, and I've dealt with him only through an intermediary, one Mr. Meyerson. It was Meyerson who called me at my former agency to offer me a new position with J.M. Carlson and Associates. I would travel across the country to acquire properties selected by Mr. Carlson himself simple as that. To say this offer came out of left field would be putting it mildly, and Meyerson wasn't exactly forthcoming with details. But the very next day, via overnight mail, came an ironclad contract so generous in pay and benefits that I stopped asking questions. After all, we all have our reasons and our secrets. James Carlson and Associates specializes in distressed properties buildings in foreclosure or with severe structural problems or those with troubled histories. Well, without exception, my acquisitions have been the ones with troubled histories. It's not so unusual for someone in the real estate business to target distressed properties. They can be bought cheaply and with a certain amount of rehab work, you can sell them for much more than what you paid. But here's what is rather odd. In all my years with Carlson, and after dozens and dozens of acquisitions, I have yet to see a single property 
put up for sale or rent by the company. Well, like I said, we all have our reasons. Let me tell you about my very first job for the company. It should give you an idea of the uncommon nature of all that was to follow. It was the kind of experience that leaves you either running away from the unknown or walking uncertainly towards it. I chose to go forward. After a quick nap at the hotel, I got ready for my meeting with Moss Kleinberg, professor of psychology at Northwestern University. When I arrived at the luxury condominium complex where he lived, all I knew was that he had moved into this, his dream apartment, just four days before, and now, very suddenly, he wanted to sell. Before the elevator doors could even fully open, I was greeted by a well-dressed man in his early 70s with palpable anxiety in his eyes. Are you Mr. Drake from the agency? That's right, Professor Kleinberg. Yes, uh, thank you for coming so soon. He turned away from me and started walking down the hallway, not in an impolite way, just in the manner of someone intensely preoccupied. When I spoke to Mr. Myerson on the phone, he assured me we could finalize matters today. Is that right? Yes, but you're sure you don't need more time to... No, I don't need any more time. The longer I stay here... It's just not healthy for me. Maybe someone else won't have the problems I've experienced. We came to his front door, and he stopped and simply stared at it for what seemed the longest time. He glanced back at me, almost as if he hoped I would tell him we didn't need to go inside. What kind of problems, Professor Kleinberg? My feeling, Mr. Drake, is that you will look over this apartment and find it flawless. But my conscience won't allow me to hide a rather significant drawback to the place. And that is? The previous owner won't leave. The apartment was magnificent, elegant, yet designed and built for practicality, with a spacious central living room and oversized windows that offered a spectacular view of the Chicago skyline. Knowing the condo's history, the significant drawback Kleinberg mentioned struck an odd note. Professor Kleinberg, you purchased this apartment through Gold Realty, correct? That's right. It's a reputable company, so I'm sure they must have told you about what happened here. Oh, yes. I could never have afforded this kind of place. Never even dreamed of owning it if it hadn't been for the circumstances. Well, I'm sure you know all about that. Yes, I do. But you said the previous owner won't leave. I'm not sure what you mean. I think perhaps you do have an inkling of what I mean. But you're naturally hoping this conversation doesn't turn into some flaky encounter with an over-the-hill academic who's losing his marbles. Believe me. Up until a few days ago, I would be the last person in the world to believe this insanity I'm going through, let alone share it with a perfect stranger. Just four nights ago, I was so damn delighted with this purchase that I was playing peacock at a rather large reception we had for a visiting lecturer. Jesus Christ, that fossil Moss Kleinberg is here. Richard says he just bought an apartment on the Gold Coast. That reactionary newspaper column of his must really be paying off. Be nice, Eddie. Oh, no. He's coming over here. Hello, Edgar. Very good to see you. Thank you, Moss. Do you know Marcy McDougall? This is her second year teaching theology. Hello again, Professor Kleinberg. We have met very briefly at a couple of functions. Indeed we have. And please, call me Moss. I feel old enough as it is without colleagues calling me Professor. 
Okay, Moss. So I hear you're moving out of Evanston. Out of Evanston and into a stratospheric new tax bracket, right? If I didn't know you better, I'd say that you were jealous, Edgar. Well, apparently you don't know me at all, because I'm exceedingly jealous. It's more like castles than condos over there, Moss. It is, frankly, far more than I need. But I've reached an age where I'm comfortable with a little excess. Well, why not? I know it's been a rough couple of years for you. I lost my wife two years ago, Miss McDougall. That's what Edgar is referring to. Forgive us for bringing it up at such a festive gathering. There's nothing to forgive. And please, if I'm calling you Moss, you have to call me Marcy. Of course. At any rate, that's one of the reasons why I'm so pleased to have found this place. It was long past time to move out, and I just lucked into an incredible deal for this wonderful apartment. Practically brand new. Oh, come clean, Moss. It's not luck. It's all that syndication money, right? You grossly overestimate the market value for a column on public morals and ethics, my dear friend. Maybe, but I don't believe in fairy tales of blue light specials on Lakeshore Drive luxury condos. Fairy tales? No, Edgar. This story is grim with one M, I'm afraid. There was a rather high-profile tragedy at the apartment, and the surviving family wanted to relieve themselves of the property quickly and sell to someone with no agenda to exploit the situation. A friend knew the agent handling the sale, and before I knew it, I had this wondrous resonance for a song. A high-profile tragedy? Is this the apartment where Jack Blaze died? Yes, it is. But I'd truly appreciate it if you both would keep that to yourselves. If students find out I'm living there, I'll never be able to teach a course in peace again. All right, but Jesus. Don't you find it a little unsettling? I mean, considering how he died. Not in the slightest. Why should I? I'm not a superstitious man. Neither am I, but still. Still what? Look, I watched Sylvia fight for her life. And I mean fight. The last thing she would want me to do is to pass on the bargain of a lifetime because of the foolish thought that there might be some bad aura left behind by a very silly young man who didn't care enough to value his own life. That's a little harsh, don't you think? Depression is a very real disease. Well, all weaknesses are diseases nowadays. Isn't that the case? I suppose his fondness for heroin. That was a disease too. Well, disease or weakness. I don't think you should sound so cold-hearted about it. Perhaps a little cold-heartedness is needed at a time when we coddle those who waste the opportunities others dream about. And now we have another case of self-destruction. Romanticized by the media as some kind of martyrdom for a cause no one can seem to define. A cause of celebratory self-pity, I suppose. Well, hell, Moss. You really hold this poor guy in high esteem, don't you? Do you know his music at all? I've read enough about it to get a good sense of it. Really? Do you make all your judgments through secondhand experience? Well, forget about your opinion of this music that you've never heard. I find your vitriol excessive. Are we beyond a little respect for the dead? Forgive me if I offend you, Miss McDougall. But I've had several decades now of being offended by the culture at large. And as my remaining years grow shorter, I can't seem to find the time for niceties where that conflict is concerned. You are obviously much younger, and I presume from a more radical political bent. So I'm sure you may feel differently. You know, I didn't realize that we were discussing politics. Maybe I should find some different company before we do. Enjoy your new apartment, Professor Kleinberg. Thank you, Miss McDougall. I intend to do exactly that. 
Nicely done, Moss. Ah, life's far too short to worry about her kind. And what kind is that exactly? Good evening, Edgar. Despite that confrontation, I left that evening feeling as good as I have felt since before Sylvia became sick. I had a giddy childlike anticipation on my first night in my new apartment. The movers had come just that afternoon, so nothing was put away. But it was late when I returned from the reception, so I was ready to crawl into bed as soon as I walked through the door. I have no idea how long I'd slept when I was awoken by the sound of music. A guitar. I assumed it was coming from another apartment, but it seemed to emanate from the living room. I got up and walked toward the living room. I expected to find a vent leading to the residence upstairs, an annoyance at worst. But as I located the only possible portals for music, it was clear it wasn't coming from any of them. Yet it sounded as close as if someone was sitting on my couch playing the instrument. I walked to the windows and looked outside, a foolish thought considering how high up we are. But of course, there was nothing but a lovely view of the city. The moonlight was bright enough that I didn't have to turn on the lights. It was also bright enough to cast my shadow on the facing wall. But as I turned around, I realized there was a second shadow there as well. That shadow included the light fixture on the ceiling. And below it, the figure of a man hanging from a noose tied to the fixture. I rushed to the light switch and flooded the room with as much illumination as I could. Petrified, I forced myself to look up. There was no one hanging from the light fixture. No body. No noose. The room was exactly as I had left it before retiring for the evening. Hands trembling, I turned all the lights off again and looked where the shadow had been. The moonlight now cast only the shadow of the light fixture. I switched on the lights again and searched the room, half convinced there was an intruder inside and I had imagined the rest. But after a thorough inspection of the entire apartment, I decided I must have imagined it all. Yet it didn't feel like a dream. Unable to get back to sleep, I read for several hours sitting on the living room couch. Until I finally drifted off, I would glance up at the wall occasionally. But I saw nothing unusual. Professor Kleinberg, I'm sure you had a hell of a fright, but nightmares are hardly uncommon when you're in a new, unfamiliar place. Yes, that's what I told myself. And by the next morning, it all made perfect sense. Jack Blaze had hung himself in that very room. And though I had no qualms about obtaining the apartment, the news about his death had been everywhere. Naturally, it might float through my subconscious as I slept. That's what I told myself. The following evening, I returned home. Before I was even near my front door, I could hear the music. A chill ran through me. I stepped slowly towards the door, hoping it would become clear that the music was being played in another apartment. But as I reached the door, there was no doubt it was coming from inside my living room. I stood there for a long time keys in my hand, thinking perhaps I should call the police. But the nightmare of the previous evening came back to me. Maybe I was dreaming now. My hand rose as if it had a mind of its own, and I turned the key and opened the door as slowly as I could. 
I peered inside. I felt as if my heart would give in at that moment as I saw the man sitting on my couch and playing guitar. There was no mistaking him. His face had been on every newspaper and TV newscast for weeks. I walked in and slowly closed the door behind me. He didn't seem to notice me. I reached for an umbrella I kept hanging on the coat hanger near the front door, brandishing it as a weapon. I crept slowly nearer to the couch until I was almost standing in front of him. He just kept his head down, his long, dark hair dangling as he strummed the guitar. Look, sir, I don't know who you are or what you're up to, but you are trespassing. You had better leave before I call the police. He kept playing, never looking up at me. I can't leave. I don't have anywhere to go. That's not my concern. This is my property and you are trespassing. Moreover, I don't appreciate this impersonation. It's in very poor taste. Now get out or I will call the police. He slowly lifted his head up towards me. He looked calm and was smiling, but there were tears in his eyes. Go call the police. They know the way. They were here when the ambulance took me away. I backed away from him and toward the phone on the end table. Though I was doubting my own senses, I had to call the police. I needed someone else to see this, or at the very least to confirm that I was not seeing this. I picked up the phone, ready to dial. But then I looked back at the couch. He was gone. I walked back over to where he had been sitting. There was no guitar. I touched the couch. There was no indentation, no warmth. Nothing to indicate that anyone had been sitting there a moment ago. I was confused and frightened. Surely this was madness overcoming me. I called a cab and spent the night at the hotel. The next day, back on campus, I went through the day in a haze. I ended my lectures early and spent most of my time retreating in my office. As I stepped outside, ready to leave for the day, I ran into Marcy McDougall a theology professor I had upset at the reception two nights earlier. She was understandably cool towards me as we passed. Professor Kleinberg? Uh, Miss McDougall? Yes? I'd like to apologize for my tone with you at the reception. I didn't have to be so antagonistic to make my point, and I hope you'll forgive me. Of course. I should have shown a little more patience myself. No, you did nothing wrong, really. Listen... There's been a development concerning what we discussed that evening. I know you don't know me well at all, but I need to talk about something, and I think it actually might be better to speak with someone who isn't close to me. In addition, it falls somewhat into your field. My field? Yes, it's something of a spiritual matter. Moss, I teach theology, but the fact is I'm a bit of an agnostic. Maybe you need to speak with a rabbi or the university chaplain. I mean, if it's a crisis of faith. I don't think it's that, but I can't really say for sure. At this point, I would welcome your skepticism. If it's too awkward for you, I understand, but I could really use your opinion on this. Well, okay. But I can't promise my opinion will be to your liking. You don't have to worry about that. Are you free now? Um, yes. I guess I am. We walked to a cafe near the student union, and with much trepidation, I told her everything that I have told you. 
I wasn't worried about what she might tell others or how it could affect my position at the university. At that moment, I was beyond such concerns. Maybe I wanted someone to tell me I was crazy. Maybe I needed to believe that. Wow. I have to say, I wasn't expecting that sort of a story from you. Nor did I ever expect to tell one. But it was all so vivid. It was certainly not a dream. So you tell me, am I as mad as a hatter? I'm not an expert on mental health, and you probably should consult one. But you don't come across as, as unbalanced to me. Moss, I honestly don't know what to say. But you don't believe what I've told you. <laughs> the thing is, I think I do. And frankly, it makes me very nervous. I mean, I'm not a person prone to believe ghost stories, but I don't think you are either. Not at all. Yes, I guess I do believe it. Thank God for that. Is your advice the same then? See a psychiatrist, consult a rabbi. I would certainly do both of those things. And maybe consider talking with someone who deals in the supernatural. I mean, someone legitimate. I don't know. Maybe that's asking for trouble with all the con men out there. And if word got out that I was meeting with ghost hunters, I imagine that would move my retirement date up a bit. I know. Discretion is important here. But still, there must be someone honorable with real expertise about this sort of phenomenon. But Moss, there is one thing I think you really must do. Yes. Move out. Immediately. I just moved in. I put a lot of time and effort into this new residence. And as disturbing as these encounters have been, this spirit, or, or whatever it is, has not threatened me. Listen to me. I don't claim to understand this kind of experience in the slightest. But if this spirit is able to manifest itself to someone as skeptical and as far removed from his world as you, then there's some kind of power in that apartment that is probably beyond our capabilities to handle or even process normally. Have you read any H.P. Lovecraft? Oh, goodness. A story or two, decades ago, I suppose. He wrote, the most merciful thing in the world is the inability of the human mind to correlate all of its contents. There may be something in that apartment that you weren't supposed to reckon with. Then why did events lead me there? I can't answer that. And if I were a religious person, maybe I would believe there's an answer you're meant to find there. But what if you're not meant to find it? I mean, if planes of existence are like roads, well, sometimes when you're on the road, you get lost. And sometimes you wind up in a dangerous place. Nothing good happened for Jack Blaze in that apartment, Moss. I would not go back. Perhaps I should have listened to Marcy McDougall's warning. But I could not resign myself to spending my remaining years cowering from life's mysteries. Feeling secure that I was not losing my mind, Nothing could keep me from returning to that apartment. When I arrived that night, all seemed normal. There was no music playing, no sound at all. But somehow I knew he would be there. I walked into the living room. He sat on the couch as he had the previous night, but his guitar was standing up against it. He nodded towards it. I've been trying to write some new songs, but nothing new comes to me anymore. Maybe that goes away when you die. I walk closer to the couch to face him, bold enough to look more closely and calmly now. 
I saw nothing but a young man on a couch. No eerie glow about him, no strange shadows or sounds. Just a man, like me. I can't say why. I had no epiphany about his presence, no reason to be so composed. But my fear subsided. I found my own calmness strange and unfamiliar. Do you mind if I ask why you did it? Why did you want to end your life? Man, did you ever feel like it's all spinning out of control and we're just here to witness it? Yes. Sometimes I feel that way. I, I guess I just got tired of feeling like a bug, feeding off the decay. I see each subsequent generation falling further behind, drowning in excesses of empty sexuality, violence, and technological distractions, and the things they do to each other. And to themselves. The things I value seem to be getting lost, and I don't know if they are retrievable. You ever read any Lovecraft? A story or two. Decades ago, I suppose. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity. And it was not meant that we should voyage far. It's funny, isn't it, Moss? You and I have such totally different beliefs. And yet, somewhere in the back of our minds, we both believe that. Don't we? He smiled again. And again, there were tears in his eyes. But there was something else, too. I can't put a name to it. And I'm not sure there is a name for it. An emotion to convey what that terrible smile did to me. I just ran out of the apartment as fast as I could move. I ran so quickly that I don't remember how I got from there back to my office. But that's where I spent the night. It isn't simple fear, Mr. Drake. A heavy, heavy gloom has fallen upon me, and I have no answer for it, except to be rid of this property. Maybe then the answers will become clear. Maybe not. Kleinberg had been standing as he told me this incredible story, pacing a bit as he spoke. But as he finished, he sat down on the couch crumpled into it, really, and stared at the floor. I didn't know how to react. Crazy? Now he didn't strike me as such. And if I knew how many not-so-crazy, crazy stories I would encounter working for J.M. Carlson and Associates, I might have been able to muster a better response. But at that point, I had never dealt with anything remotely like this. So awkwardly, I did the only thing I could think of I kept it strictly business. Professor Kleinberg, I'm not the person to decipher this kind of incident, encounter, whatever it might have been. I'm sure you have colleagues at the university who can be of much greater assistance in that area. But if selling this property is your immediate concern, I think we can help you. Yes, that is my only concern right now. Very good. Well, I can do an appraisal right now contact my employer and present you with an offer within a couple of hours. Would that work for you? Yes. The sooner the better. I conducted my appraisal quickly, then excused myself to go downstairs to call Meyerson in private. I didn't go into the details of Kleinberg's story. I just told him that the seller was troubled 
and believed the apartment was haunted. Myerson didn't react at all. It was as if he expected to hear it. He gave me the go-ahead on the offer I suggested and told me I could raise it as much as $100,000 if Kleinberg held out. That surprised me, but as this was my first assignment, I didn't question it. I came back upstairs and rang Kleinberg's buzzer. Professor Kleinberg, hello? I turned the knob and found the door open. I just planned to poke my head inside and call his name a little louder to get his attention, but immediately I saw that would have been pointless. Moss Kleinberg was hanging from the light fixture in his living room. The next few hours were a blur. I was in shock, I suppose. There's a swirl of confused memories of police questioning me, yellow tape across Kleinberg's entryway, and finally being escorted downstairs by a detective who took me to a police station so I could make a statement. And I remember, or remember imagining, I can't say for sure, turning to glance into the apartment once more before I was led downstairs. Kleinberg's body had been taken away long before then, but I swear I saw a shadow on the wall for a brief second. Two shadows, actually. Two bodies hanging, swaying in tandem from the light fixture. Just days later, Myerson called me to tell me that Professor Kleinberg's brother, who had inherited the deed to the apartment, had found the number to J.M. Carlson and Associates in his brother's paperwork and called to arrange a sale. I believe his words were, as fast as humanly possible. And so I was quickly back in Chicago, finalizing the purchase I had been sent to make happen, though certainly not in the manner I had planned. Did I feel uneasy coming back so soon? Yes, though not as much as I expected. Not nearly as much. I guess it goes back to what I said about running away from the unknown or walking uncertainly towards it. Or maybe it speaks to something deeper in me, a very dark pragmatism that allows me to accept things that others simply can't. Maybe that's what makes me the ideal agent for J.M. Carlson and Associates. How about you, friend? Ever read any Lovecraft? The New Roommates was written and directed by Joel Wickland. Al Pinge starred as Artemis Drake, with Ian Novak as Professor Kleinberg, Dusty Mitchell as Jack Blaze, Tina Wright as Marcy McDougall, and Tony Crane as Edgar. Music by Kevin McLeod. Production assistance by Jenny Worrell. Ghost Guitar by Dave Tatelbaum. For Sinister Properties, I'm Jerome St. Jerome. And that was the new roommate's pilot story in the Sinister Properties audio series. Um, SinisterProperties.webs.com is the website. I'll have you a proper link for that up on the website, RadioDramaRevival.com. Anyways, next week, the story of darkness and ghosts continue on with a very different kind of ghost uh, that inhabits the colonial-like etheric explorers club in resident member by Paul Marlowe, an adaptation of a short story that originally appeared in Something Wicked magazine. Um, anyways, if you can't wait that long, do check out our blog and podcast at radiodramarevival.com. We've got news, reviews, and discussion 
Up there, some really cool stuff has been happening in radio drama land lately. Uh, two of our own, Yuri Rosovsky and Roger Gregg, were nominated for a great awards. Um, Yuri Rosovsky for a Grammy and Roger Gregg for his Irish Theater uh, Award of some uh, for sound design. Um, other good stuff, uh, check out the audio drama talk boards, all kinds of good stuff happening in radio drama. So um, for, for some of it, check out radiodramarevival.com. Check out the boards at audiodramatalk.com for more. That, however, wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. (laughs) 